startups to Starbucks. Today, I'll be interviewing Claire Burnham, who has led or worked on innovation teams at companies like Amazon, Starbucks, and Marriott. This is Campfire, a podcast about impact and innovation from our nation's capital. I'm your host, Karim Zaman. Welcome to the show. And uh, I met you through Georgetown University, where we are both entrepreneurs and residents. Uh, we met this past summer at the Summer Launch Program, and we kind of got paired off into a breakout room. And I remember meeting you, and I was so incredibly impressed by all of your accomplishments in such a short time. And, uh, <laughs> and, the, kind of, and the kind of work that you're doing in innovation, and I, I find it incredibly insightful to see how are large companies innovating, what are some of the challenges, and you have a lot of sort of um, you know, excellent perspectives on, on these various industries and, and you've worked across so many industries. So why don't we start by uh, you telling us a little bit about yourself and, and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So uh, my career began, uh, I've been in consumer brands for about 10 years, um, kind of serendipitously. I went to Ohio State for undergrad and um, Columbus is kind of this retail mecca. All these retail companies are based there. That's kind of what began my journey kind of in product and in brands. Um, so my last year I was recruited uh, to join Abercrombie and Fitch through a corporate leadership development program where you end up in a product and merchandising function. So this is kind of my entrance into learning the functional elements of developing products and, you know, taking something from a consumer insight all the way to a design, all the way to actually, you know, producing it and, and then selling it to a consumer and measuring data and measuring sales and kind of reacting from there. Um, and this was really early on, right out of college, and I really was starting to get super interested in startups and, and entrepreneurship. This is when Tom Shoes is, you know, becoming this huge thing and had a really big passion for entrepreneurship. And so I ended up deciding to leave ANF and go back to the West Coast uh, to work for a small retail startup called Spiritual Gangster um, that was based kind of in my hometown and had started out of these yoga studios I went to in high school. They had huge national presence in the yoga world. They were a big athleisure brand, but really needed some help kind of streamlining some of their product and, and operational infrastructure processes so they could support, you know, eventual scale. Um, so spent some time working with the founders of Spiritual Gangster, um, where I was then recruited by Lululemon and kind of first at my toes into um, entrepreneurship. And so the sort of quick context is that at the time, Lululemon was evolving as a brand. They were beginning to go global. They were taking bigger bets on inventory and for many years had sold all of their product um, at full price out of their retail stores and on their website. And as, which is pretty phenomenal for a retail brand to be able to do this for as long as they did. Um, and as they started to have backup on inventory and you know take bigger bets, they needed a solution to move through excess inventory and they didn't wanna do markdowns in their retail stores. So their strategy was to set up you know five outlets essentially as kind of an MVP to test the outlet model variety of concerns around, you know, can this be profitable? Can we scale it? Will it impact retail stores? Will it impact brand in a negative way? Um, so really fun. This is kind of my first entrance into real scrappy iterative testing and really just kind of Wild West startup life. Um, so spent two years with them, went into a store uh, in Texas, led, you know, a huge team, and we were doing all of the strategy out of our storefront. So product pricing, figuring out how to move inventory, figuring out how to store inventory, 
figuring out how to run a 24 hour Black Friday, um, figuring out how to do grassroots kind of guerrilla marketing that felt, you know, unique to Lululemon and felt like it resonated with the brand, but also felt specific kind of to our outlet. And so spent two years with them um, pre-business school, kind of figuring out this model, which is now, you know, a big part of Lululemon's business. We were able to scale a lot of the stuff that we figured out from a strategy perspective in terms of pricing and inventory systems and, and how to do marketing kind of in an outlet unique way. Um, so I, just, I went to Lululemon. For, yeah. <laughs> for our listeners, what is an entrepreneur? Uh, and so yeah. there's a, this, this is a company that hired you uh, and, and the role that you were describing it as an entrepreneur. So what is an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and why do, companies hi- why do companies hire for those positions? Yeah, I would define it as you're basically an entrepreneur inside of a larger company. So typically this can be on my, like more recently in an innovation team or in my role at Lululemon where you're, you're leading an initiative that's new for the company. And so you're kind of running your own little startup within this larger organization. And so in the context of Lululemon, we had a lot of freedom. We had some goals we were held accountable to, but otherwise they basically gave us space to test and try things, um, you know, and, and bonuses and stuff comp is tied to that sometimes. So you have kind of a system that you're operating within and a structure and the support of the company, but you have the freedom to really innovate as if it's your own business. And in our case, I mean, we did tons of, you know, we painted our store. We were really figuring out how to make it work. Um, so it was basically like, you know, you're running your own business, but you have the support of this larger company behind and you. Why do, and, and why do companies do that? Like, why would they take some, uh, take that model? It sounds very risky and, and, and try to run it like a startup. I think for them, it's a way to move quickly and see if something, you know, fail fast and kind of learn faster. These kind of mantras that you hear, but really in practice. So for them, I mean, five stores, it's an investment, but it's, you know, kind of a low risk way to try something out. And before you really scale and take a big bet and spend years building out a new business, it's good to kind of test it, get it in front of customers and see what happens. Test all of your fears, all your assumptions about the business. For example, I mentioned, you know, will this affect the retail business? Will this affect our core? Like, what is the revenue impact here? Is it going to be positive? Could it be negative? Can this be done profitably, but also feel like on brand and all of these things. And so it was a way to test a lot of those assumptions directly with customers before making a much bigger investment that, you know, outlets were going to be kind of the future of of Lululemon and the core part of the business. And how did you deal with that? It sounds like it's a very uh, stressful uh, job. Like you're doing something that's never been done before at that company. You're young and, and you have all these responsibilities and uncertainty. How did, how did you handle all that? (laughs) Uh, I mean, it was wild, but it was really fun. I think, you know, I had a, a boss there actually who kind of instilled this mantra of do it now. And so, you, you know, you get a lot of fear around, you know, oh my gosh, should I just like, you know, one story is we had one summer, you know, 500 like green men's hoodies. We're sitting in Texas in the middle of summer and we have no room. They're really thick. So if you think about even operations of like, how do you store these, mm-hmm. let alone sell them? Um, I mean, it was stuff like that every day. And so it's stressful, but it's fun. And, and my boss, you know, this do it now mentality of just like, try something, you know, see if it works quickly iterate. And um, if you fail, great. Like you learn and you probably won't do that thing again. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, for me, it was really fun. Like I love kind of the entrepreneurial spirit and throughout my career I have always kind of tried to find these really niche opportunities to really build and create, um, you know, where there's something that's sort of like a nascent idea and then you get to uh-huh. kind of come in and take that thing and make it real. Um, but it was and, definitely crazy. <laughs> and then you mentioned that led you, there was this pre-MBA. So then after that, you went and got your MBA? 
Yeah. So I had always kind of thought about business school. And when I was making the decision to leave Spiritual Gangster and join Lululemon, I felt like I had done, you know, big corporate retail. I had learned all the things you can learn working in a really established brand like Abercrombie, you know, especially at the time under Mike Jeffries, the CEO that really like developed what Abercrombie kind of became. Um, and then I went to the startup and that was very much, you know, small team, very scrappy. And then I got to do, you know, I felt like going into stores in a highly entrepreneurial role, which was kind of my interest area, but also getting to see that side of the business, I felt like would be a really good experience to kind of package up my pre-MBA life. And so, yeah, so I decided to go to Georgetown. Um, I have family in the DC area. And so I was looking at, you know, schools in that region and ended up picking Georgetown because of their focus on startups and entrepreneurship. So I got in um, and came out for my welcome weekend and met some of the students that were in the entrepreneurship club and, and leading efforts kind of in that space and was just really impressed by the courses, by what the university had. And then also I think just being in DC at Georgetown, I knew I would have access to VC firms, to startups. So I felt like kind of even beyond the walls of Georgetown, which certainly ended up being true, I would have access to this whole startup ecosystem, which I was really craving to kind of, you know, get experience really working in a, in a startup scene beyond kind of what I had done pre-MBA. Um, so I came to Georgetown, kind of dove right in with the entrepreneurship stuff, ended up uh, becoming president of our entrepreneurship club and was in a fellowship called Insight. And Insight is a national fellowship um, and a nonprofit in several cities around the country. And essentially they recruit grad students from like top MBA and law programs. And, and even we had med students in Insight as well, but to work pro bono with startups. And so we, uh, 15 of us in the first year class of uh, the Georgetown MBA program got selected to be an insight. And then you spend each semester working on a consulting project with a startup. And then in my second year, I was able to serve on the fellowship board. And then I ended up advising, you know, several student teams on their startups. Um, so I spent kind of my two years doing insight and um, leading the entrepreneurship club, worked on a couple of my own startup ideas through the courses at Georgetown and really kind of learned, I would say like the frameworks of entrepreneurship. So I learned how to apply actual framework thinking to that process. So, you know, at Georgetown, they really teach you about lean startup. They teach you about getting ideas in front of customers. I had previously been a huge like Steve Jobs fan and kind of came into business school thinking, you know, you can develop these products in a vacuum and, and then they'll be amazing, which, which works if you're Steve Jobs uh, most of the time. <laughs> but, you know, for a lot of entrepreneurs, like you really need to test things and build them iteratively. And there's a huge value in getting customer feedback early. And so really learned a lot of these um, frameworks spent a period of time working in VC. I'm at Revolution in DC and uh, spent my summer so what, at Amazon. Sorry, yeah. what, is, what is Revolution? <laughs> I think for those that, for, for people yeah. that are not in the, uh, in the DC area, sure. uh, Revolution uh, VC, is that, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, so Revolution is a VC firm founded by um, Steve Case and a few other gentlemen. Uh, he's the founder of AOL and they have several funds they have um, a seed fund all the way up through a growth fund, which is uh, the team that I interned on. And so that team is looking at, you know, basically injecting checks of $50 million and above into startups that are in growth phase. So likely they've already gone through their seed funding and early stage funding. They validated, they have moved through even like earlier funding than that. And now they really need capital to really grow. Mm -hmm. um, and so I spent a time, a period of time with that team. I'm so close with them kind of learning the other side of the business. I had always and have remained an operator on the inside of brands, but it was really cool to get to see how, you know, from a funding perspective and a VC perspective, how they think about opportunities, 
um, learned to make some financial models that I had never done before <laughs> um, and some other stuff and flex my skill set in a new way um, and just get to really understand kind of how the investment piece goes into startups, you know, having always been on the other side. That's incredible. So you have at this point worked at some major um, consumer brands. You've worked at yeah. startups. You've worked <laughs> as an entrepreneur. Intra you've gone through an MBA and now you're even working on the funding side, uh, helping startups scale. Uh, and so at that point, you've, you've been exposed to all of these different um, organization types and different roles. And then what happens next after revolution? Yeah. So prior to that, I had spent the summer at Amazon doing kind of my summer internship. And the nice thing is that I ended up, it's funny because kind of going into business school, I had sort of promised, you know, I'm not going to go back to a big brand. I'm going to go into a startup, which is sort of the irony of kind of where my career has led uh, since. Um, but I have found these kind of, you know, very innovative opportunities, which I've been lucky to find. But spent, I ended up getting an offer early in my first year to go to Amazon for their internship program, which was a good fit given my background in retail. They hire a lot of MBAs. They have a good relationship with Georgetown. So I had spent the summer there um, and then had gotten an offer to return. And so came back to school, worked at Revolution, continued doing Insight, other things in the entrepreneurship space. Yeah, and then I moved to Seattle. And so I joined Amazon as a senior product manager. Uh, on their Amazon fashion technology team. And so essentially what we would own would be kind of the, what you would see, what I ended up owning as a product owner was when you are searching um, a category that could be tied to fashion or clothing. So shoes, jeans, dresses, everything that appears on the screen after that was kind of my domain that I own from a product perspective. And so my job was really to understand from a customer's perspective, what do we need to do to make that experience, you know, more seamless, help you find what you're looking for faster. And then ultimately kind of how do we even personalize that experience? So when you start shoes, you know, you get this ultimate, you know, personalized trend forward experience. It's, you know, it's really hard on Amazon because there's so many items. Um, millions of, you know, what a SKU is, it's a like individual item on a site. I mean, there's millions. So our goal is really how do we simplify the shopping process to get you to find what you're looking for much faster especially if you don't know exactly what you're looking for. So if you know exactly like I want this Nike shoe, it's really easy to search on Amazon. But if you just want to get inspired and like see what we've got to offer, it's, it can be really hard to kind of sort through everything. And so we were really focused on trying to simplify and personalize that experience to improve the time and um, like speed and ease of shopping on Amazon fashion. And, and how did you do that? So you've, you've, <laughs> you've, you've gone to this MBA program, you're, you've been exposed to all these different sort of like lean startup business model canvas, you've mm -hmm. got all this experience. Now you're at a tech company, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, the, it's the tech company of our time, right? It's, um, so how, how was that like going from the experiences you had, one to Amazon, and then two, you have this really uh, thorny problem. How did you go about kind of uh, breaking it apart? Um, a lot of help <laughs> from a lot of really smart people. I, um, it's interesting. I've been lucky in my career. And I think when you're in product roles, the same is true at, at Abercrombie. You have these, um, you're sort of like the voice of the customer and ultimately what you're going to build. But you have all these experts around you that are working with you through the process. So at ANF, it was like technical designers and fashion designers and financial people and all of that. And everybody's in the room making the decision, right, with their unique specific um, like input and expertise. And so at Amazon, it was the same. So I had a, a technical team. It was my first time really working with software engineers and running with the, you know, sprint process. If you've, if you've ever worked in tech, obviously you, you know, we, we would build in what's called agile development way. And so we did two week sprints to decide what we were actually technically going to build on the back end to enable what, you know, we wanted to, you to see as a customer on the front end of the website. Um, and then we had a team of UX designers. So they are, 
like the design visionaries, like what is the North Star of this experience? If we were to just strip away, if we could do anything, what should that look like? And then you're kind of the go between between all of these voices to figure out what's actually possible from a technical perspective to get to like their design vision. And then ultimately you also own the data of like what do customers actually want? So you can kind of be the voice to come to the table and say, well, we tested this, customers engaged or didn't really engage, or maybe they did. And so we think we should do this. And so collaboration um, and being really open about what you don't know, I think is was really key to, to my success of, you know, this is my first time working in a technical role. Uh -huh. I'm going to have to learn a lot on the technical side to understand how we're building this stuff. Um, and so, yeah, having how, really good partners <laughs> helps. And, and how did you do that? So you don't have a, a like a technical background and all of a sudden you've all. got a <laughs> hyper technical environment. And I think yeah. that's something that a lot of, um, you know, product developers or, or product managers are experiencing now is that many of them come from uh, different backgrounds and they might not have a technical expertise and they're thrust in a role where they have to herd all these cats uh, and make mm -hmm. the customer happy. And, uh, and, and they, they have all this uh, technical jargon and principles and concepts. And, um, and how did you learn in that environment? Uh, every day, <laughs> asking a lot of questions. I think like being vulnerable and open mm. to failing and open to just being honest about where your, you know, where your weak spots are, I think is really important. I think for me, like the theme of my career, I would say, and my just personality and who I am is like, I like to solve problems. I like to be in really like, in, Sometimes it's incredibly stressful, but I continue to throw myself into really ambiguous areas that don't have a clear answer. But I really like, I really thrive in solving problems in really ambiguous spaces. And so I think that's a strength of mine as well as, you know, I can build and execute upon ideas. And so you have some people, I am not necessarily, I mean, I think I am pretty creative, but I'm not necessarily going to like invent the iPhone in a vacuum and just create that. But if you tell me that you have an idea on something, I can really bring it to life. So those are kind of two strong skill sets I think needed as like a product owner. And I think the technical stuff, you know, you can learn it if you have really strong, thankfully at Amazon, you have, you know, we had a, you know, a, a engineer who kind of leads the engineering team. That's like their lead. And we had the same thing on our UX side. And so those people are really your partners and helping you prioritize and really understand the implications of the decisions you're making so that you can help the, you know, the engineering team prioritize as well. And you're, you know, your job is to explain what the customer impact is, and they can really help guide you, I think, on the technical side. But a lot of reading, <laughs> a lot of studying, a lot of watching them build stuff and, and help me break it down into really simple terms. Um, but it was a, definitely a big adjustment. I mean, I think interning helped um, over the summer prior. I had, you know, I had learned to work with um, SQL code to pull data from a system. I had never heard of SQL. I had mm -hmm. never worked in complex data sets. Everything we had done at Lululemon was super scrappy and like measuring stuff every day. And so I'd never worked with like these very complex quantitative systems before. So just being willing to learn helped a lot, but I would, I don't think I'm still a technical expert, but I'm still trying uh, to learn and beef up, beef up my skill sets when I can in that area. It's, uh, it's, it's fake it. So you make it essentially. Um, and what's, <laughs> what's also interesting, a lot of developers is that many of them, uh, you know, the, the, the frameworks change, the languages evolve. And so they're always in a state of learning as well. And a lot of the, mm -hmm. some of the best developers that I know are self-taught. And they, you know, um, you know, they, they might have taken a Udemy class or they might go to a meetup and they, you know, and they're doing workshops or, you know, they're just always like tinkering. And so mm -hmm. I think as, as people that are not technical, we always feel like we might feel like, oh, no, like we don't have enough technical knowledge. But I think this whole environment is accelerating so fast that everyone has to be a learner, essentially. Um, and then going back to the question about how did you solve this problem for that specific customer at Amazon of trying to figure out 
those people that are not really sure what they're looking for um, and you needed to create a front end that allowed the user to engage mm -hmm. with the, 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 the platform. How did you figure out how to solve that problem? I think we tested a lot of stuff and built stuff really iteratively. So everything that seems small to you as a customer, there's so much that goes into that on the back end, which is probably the most uh, mind-blowing thing when you join Amazon and as an employee is to realize like how complex everything is. But we show, you know, it's simple things from a new arrivals button, right? So shop new arrivals. So when you search shoes, you're immediately drawn to the things that have been uploaded most recently. And then we would test that. So we would see, does that help? So if we test it, do you get more add to carts? Are people buying more? Are they, are the amount of clicks between searching and then purchasing going down? So a lot, we had a mm -hmm. ton of metrics that we would measure. And so we would do really small changes. You know, we had a hypothesis around, do customers want to shop like our top brands? So these would be things curated by our marketing teams and our stylists. So we would launch a button to direct customers to that. And we did A-B testing. So we would, you know, half of customers would see it, half wouldn't, same search term, and we would measure. And then there were some other sort of longer term innovation projects we were working on around how to really get to some sort of really complex new kind of vision for the site. But a lot of it was just creating hypotheses, quickly testing, and then measuring how customers responded. We also had um, a user experience lab, which is basically a lab where you can very quickly create like a fake site. And so you bring customers actually in and then you're on the other side of the glass, um, which is funny, but you're watching them behave. Um, so you can actually see how they engage with the site. And it's also a way too to like ask qualitative questions and just observe um, you know, customer behavior, which I think as well, when you have a really cross-functional team trying to make decisions, can also help simplify that process because everybody can just come and actually watch what's happening. And that you know, provides yes. data, yeah. Because you have all these different types of roles. You have like designers, developers, and, and, and you have like probably business analysts and everybody has an opinion. And so now you have an objective way that you could see the, does the customer know that they're being watched or is it kind of like just, uh, just like a one-way mirror kind of situation? Yeah, like a one-way mirror. That's <laughs> so, so fascinating. I think they kind of, I think they know, like, there might be people watching, but yeah, we would, like, yeah. come in and out and do sessions. So that was a helpful tool as well. Yeah, we use uh, websites like user testing, and what you do is you, like, you hire somebody to test at your site. It's not an actual customer per se, but mm -hmm. what's really fascinating is that when you design, like, a web storefront, you expect people to use the site a certain way, and people don't. And so we know we did this one with a client that was an e-commerce client and we were like, oh, we put the button here and like, it's, oh, this is so logical. And the clients didn't even, they would, you see the mouse, mm -hmm. it's like skipping over the button to go to the search engine and they're searching the same keyword and they're like, but the buttons are right there. Why aren't they clicking on it? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, it's, it's great that you're, you're doing that. And so then you have a live view of this and your team can see it. And so these sort of uh, opinions that everybody has, it kind of settles these, these different perspectives and it's behavioral driven is what it sounds like. And it's also a good step. I mean, I mentioned like we would, you know, deploy small features and test them like actually on the site to get quantitative data. But I think it helped as well as kind of a first step for some stuff to be like, is this even worth two weeks of building this? You know, mm. what to you might seem like a tiny button to us is a lot of work. It can help kind of like simplify, okay, like based on that, actually let's test these three features and then, and then help us pivot kind of our direction that we're ultimately working towards. And at Amazon, I mean, I will never forget that experience. I think for just drilling in, you know, customer centricity, like customer obsession is number one. Amazon does not waste time looking at competitors. They do not care about competitors. They care, which I still, which I still now firmly believe. And I think I did before. And especially when you work there, like they are, you know, we started everything with what is the absolute, we call it, you know, North star. But if you were to create the most amazing customer experience that you could even possibly imagine, like that's what we shoot for. And then it is your job as like a product and business owner to figure out how to make the business case match. 
and how to build it in a way that can like work for the company. And um, so you really learn like a ruthless obsession with kind of customer centric values as well as measuring everything, like absolutely everything and using data to drive every decision that you make. And that's, and that's fascinating because um, when, when, when sometimes when people think about innovation, sometimes they put the technology first and they're like, okay, cool, mm -hmm. we're gonna do AI and we'll figure out how to make a customer buy this and the marketing team will kind of handle that. And what you're saying is it's actually the opposite. You start with where the customer is at and you didn't build out this huge backend and spend developer resources and designer resources. You know, and I see that happen at sometimes large companies is they just say, okay, we've got this big budget, let's just build something and then marketing will figure out kind of how to sell it. And it, then it doesn't work and you have it in the, the product launch kind of fails, you know, it's like kind of dead on arrival. And what you're doing is a much more like a lean startup approach where it's like you have this hypothesis, you didn't go too much in building it out, but you've got kind of sort of like a, a test to see is this actually something the customer wants or validating it. And then you're going ahead and, uh, and then if you, once it's validated, then you've actually go ahead and build out that feature. So that's, that's pretty cool to see that at Amazon. And then what happens next after Amazon? Yeah, so I'm at Amazon. I'm a PM working on this technical team, working on kind of, you know, deploying features and learning kind of all the functional elements of core technical product management at Amazon, um, which was really great experience. And I think the one thing I missed, and I think as an intern when I was there, you know, as an intern, very Amazon experience, but you get this, you know, white piece of paper your first day with this like really ambiguous problem on it written out and it's super technical and I have no tech experience. And so you get this basically 12 weeks to figure out how to solve this problem. And it is basically pretty much on you to figure out like, who can I talk to? Who can give me another person to talk to? Who can then make me sort of understand what I'm trying to do? And you just have to be somebody that can really like take something and, and turn it into a lot more and, and really problem solve and learn against something highly ambiguous. And then they want to see if, can you create something of value? And so I had spent the summer like diving into this very specific niche part of the business, ended up uncovering you know, this huge revenue opportunity, built a strategy against it, simplified my process, very entrepreneurial summer, very um, total like crazy experience, um, but really like got to think in that way. And I think coming back full time, like I said, it was awesome experience, but I think it was very much traditional kind of big company in the sense of, you know, the Amazon retail team is massive. Amazon.com is a huge enterprise, it's global. And so I think you're working in more of a core even though everything you do at Amazon is innovative, I mean, that's just the company and that's in its DNA. It's very much like a traditional, I would say, job in that way. And so I think something I was kind of craving was missing more of this entrepreneurial spirit. I mentioned I had intended not to go back to a big brand um, at business school. And so I was kind of approaching my year mark at Amazon and got a call um, out of the blue, got contacted by a recruiter at Starbucks. I had a lot of friends from Georgetown that were there um, that they were looking for somebody to come in and work with the CEO and uh, their head of innovation at the time, a guy named Richard Tate, who's the founder of Cranium, um, Seattle company, who knew? Um, but Richard had worked at Microsoft back in the day with Kevin Johnson, the current CEO of Starbucks, and was presently the head of innovation at Starbucks. And so they were working on how do you, essentially a lot of what you and I were talking about, but how do you take, how do you Im implement a lot of these innovation methodologies at Starbucks at the corporate level to help kind of, um, get the company to move in a more agile and nimble way. And so Starbucks had, you know, Howard Schultz is the you know founder of Starbucks. He's much like a Steve Jobs, like that guy is a brand and product visionary. And so for a long time, the company was able to really, you know, a lot of the innovation came from Howard and Howard's instinct and which was spot on. I mean, Starbucks is an amazing brand. And when Kevin took over as the CEO, he's, you know, technology background, tech guy, really wanted to shift the way that people worked at Starbucks so that innovation could really come from all places. And that kind of what I mentioned even at Georgetown, learning how to apply frameworks to the work 
So how do you do that at Starbucks? Teach people about design thinking, teach people about lean startup, teach people about you know, how to work more agile, um, get people comfortable with failing. I think a lot of big brands, consumer facing brands, as you talked about, it's really hard to put things out in the market that are imperfect. And so this is kind of what they were working on. And so I got contacted by a recruiter that Richard was looking for someone to come work with him and, and help take a lot of what they were building and actually like be able to execute those ideas into programs at the company. Um, so I had done this stuff at Georgetown. I had led entrepreneurship there for two years in a university setting. And so I took the leap, uh, which kind of continues to be the theme of my career, just kind of taking these leaps of faith when you get these kind of crazy white space opportunities. Um, and hopefully that will continue to work out for me in the future. Uh, but yeah, decided to just go and, you know, met with Richard. I was really kind of inspired by his vision. And I thought it was, you know, so early in your career to get to come in and work directly with, you know, the executive team of a major brand. Um, you know, that doesn't happen all the time, if ever. And so, yeah, I decided to leave Amazon and take the role. Um, so worked directly with Richard. We launched um, lots of stuff at Starbucks. I won't get too much into the details, but a lot of internal programs that were really aimed at accelerating innovation, training on a lot of these frameworks. And the way we thought about it was really, how do you build programs kind of at every level of the organization? So we did innovation speaker series, um, you know, kind of our entry level, I would say, program to bring in innovators and entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs to really just like get people inspired and kind of really ignite this innovation spirit at Starbucks all the way up through programming and that we targeted kind of VP and above or executives, um, led some pretty cool offsite innovation experiences for some of the executives and their teams um, and some other things. Uh, but yeah, really cool experience to get to work with them. And then all of this kind of culminated in um, Starbucks under Kevin's leadership launched an innovation facility which was featured in the press last year, so I can talk about it, but uh, it's called the Trier Innovation Center. And it's this like amazing 100 square foot facility at Starbucks on the first floor of headquarters open to all employees. And essentially it's really a cool space. Um, and so they have all these walls that kind of move. And so you can reconfigure, they've reconfigured the space probably hundreds of times since it opened. But basically teams can come down and work on design sprints in the center for like three months to get um, nascent ideas like all the way either validated that we don't want to test them or test them in the stores in a much faster cycle than, than was traditionally kind of possible. Um, so really, really neat space. There's actually like full working in internal Starbucks stores in the lab. Another great way to test things operationally really fast. So if you have a new product idea or you have like a new ingredients or all these things, you can actually test them with baristas in the lab first before impacting store operations by doing like an in-market test to test like operational feasibility essentially of a new kind of you know product concept for example um so this lab is opening they have a digital platform that they've purchased to basically be the you know virtual counterpart to the lab with the ultimate vision of being able to kind of create essentially like to truly scale innovation at starbucks and make it like a truly open source process they wanted to have a digital crowdsourcing platform to bring innovation ideas kind of in from everywhere so you have the lab for project work to accelerate innovation happening at a corporate level. And then you have this digital website that's like collecting feedback, solutions, ideas from like every, everyone in the Starbucks ecosystem from customers, suppliers, store employees, you name it. And that's, you know, really the way to really scale innovation and really open source everything. And so at the time they had kind of purchased this platform, the crowdsourcing platform and wanted to really make it real and kind of run a beta test internally at Starbucks. And so I came on to lead that, that program. Um, and so I spent the rest of my time at Starbucks. Wow. Getting, it's called Springboard. Yeah. Uh, launched and then wow. ended up running that the beta is, internally. <laughs> that is amazing. So 
So you're leading <laughs> basically like the sort of the major highway of innovation at Starbucks. Yeah, That's, I mean, it was it was really fun. Like no I said, pressure. Kind of the, no <laughs> pressure. <laughs> uh, yeah, big vision. Um, and kind of step one was really to, you know, we had one year to really beta test it internally. And the, and the idea was like, let's try crowdsourcing internally first, just as a way. I mean, there was a lot of kind of secondary benefits as well, right? Like by having a digital site where people can submit ideas and everybody can log in at any time, you then have this instant transparency that's now been added to innovation. And so theoretically, right, Kevin could log in and see an idea that somebody just out of college has submitted. And therefore you break down silos. There's no more kind of like ideas maybe that get shared with a manager in a meeting and they don't really get to, to go beyond. So you create this transparent place, but then also like the kind of theory of crowdsourcing is higher level of input leads to more creative solutions and ideas. And then ultimately, you know, yields better business outcomes, which was the business case. But yeah, in the first year we really wanted to beta test it internally. And so my job was really like to figure out what the strategy would be to, you know, measure success internally and then scale it externally. And then as well as like one man shop of marketing evangelists inside the company to get people really excited about it figure out how to position the platform in a way that executives would really care about it as well as, you know, how do I convince employees to even want to engage with this voluntarily outside of their daily jobs and then really provide incentives for continued engagement. So if we run a huge crowdsourcing challenge, you know, we have to make sure we fund the idea. We have to make sure that we get everybody engaged so that people, you know, don't drop off and, and then don't feel like they should participate again. And so these are all of the kind of things that I had to kind of figure out with our team and, you know, and I had a lot of support from the, the broader team at Trier. We were a lean team, but yeah, it was kind of the program owner driving a lot of that work forward. And what's, what's fascinating, I think, when it comes to innovation is that Starbucks made all these major investments. So they have a role for innovation. So they actually hired somebody who's, who, mm -hmm. whose specific focus is innovation. They have a physical space they've invested in to allow for uh, innovation and risk-taking and, mm -hmm. and, and testing things out. And then they invested in this online uh, platform to test that out. And, and the goal was there is that the theory, it seems that is not, I think a lot of executives think that innovation is top down that, oh, you know, we're, we're all the way at the top of the company. We have the bird's eye view and we can dictate what innovative solutions are. And, and in actuality, what, what often happens sometimes is like, yeah, there is that Steve Job character who occasionally will come up with this like, brilliant idea and execute on it. But a lot of the times the innovation comes from people that are on the front lines. And I know like at Amazon, mm -hmm. I think the idea of Amazon Prime, it came from somebody who was essentially like working in one of the, uh, in the field, so to speak, and they had this idea. And what was mm -hmm. cool was that it went, it was a, sort of a frontline worker and the idea went all the way to the top and they were able to execute it. And now, especially now, all of us are probably using Amazon Prime and subscriptions and, you know, e-commerce, um, given that we're all kind of in, in lockdown in different parts of the country. So, so it's, it's really cool to see that Starbucks made all of these uh, investments in innovation um, and it's, and I think that kind of is, it's a testament to why it's such a successful, uh, company, um, and how it embraces technology and, you know, how easy is it to order a coffee on your, on your phone, you know? So that's, that's pretty fascinating to see all those investments, uh, play off. So you're, so you're like, you're just getting like, it's one of those like video games where you're fighting bigger and bigger bosses. So like, this is incredible. <laughs> this is awesome. And so what, what happens next? Yeah, so I'm at Starbucks. Uh, we're launching the crowdsourcing platform. A uh, really successful launch, which was awesome. We did a lot of really fun challenges internally. Ideas were funded that came from the platform. Huge win, I would say, from an innovation culture perspective, which I mentioned was kind of my initial job at Starbucks, was really working on driving culture change and using internal systems and programs to do so. And then it was really cool to be able to launch 
this platform and actually bring that to life through a, you know, physical, tangible thing. And yeah, so I ended up, um, through personal situation, uh, my boyfriend ended up getting into Georgetown for business school. He's currently halfway through the program. Um, yeah, so we were moving to DC. Um, and the Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, so we were moving back to the East Coast. Again, my role leading springboard, highly cross-functional, highly internal. I'm working out of this innovation lab. The East Coast is not only a three-hour time difference, it's also very far away. And so I ended up getting connected to the uh, innovation team at Marriott. And they were looking for someone to come into their uh, innovation team focused on kind of, we, it's called customer experience innovation, just, and mostly just meaning like, you know, this idea of customer centricity we're talking about, um, focused on product and service innovation. And so that could be a new business opportunity for Marriott, like a totally new product extension off the base hotel product. It could be a new service offering, you know, within a brand or within a hotel, but essentially like things that are kind of, you know, tangible and, and physical executions of innovation. So we also had a digital team uh, that would be thinking about, you know, one example that they, you know, maybe you have Alexa in a hotel room, right? So that's a more digital forward customer solution. So they would work on that. And I would be thinking about things, you know, hypothetically, like maybe retail or something that's going to be a physical activation on site. Um, yeah. And so I got the opportunity to join that team, made the personal move kind of quickly last summer. Um, and that's where I've been. Um, yeah. Since last summer doing innovation work at them, which also moved back kind of into what I had done previously before Starbucks, where I was kind of driving these internal programs, moving back into customer facing concept and product development. That's great. And then this, then you, then you are also now at Georgetown as an entrepreneur in residence, mentoring yeah. startups. So the circle is yeah. kind of complete, right? So how does that yeah. feel? To, so you've, been, you've been on both sides of that program. Yeah. What, what's that, what's that like being the person who's being mentored and now you're a mentor yourself? What do you, what kind of advice are you giving to startups um, now that you've gone through this entire amazing journey? Yeah. So I think moving back to DC for me, like getting involved at Georgetown was like definitely a big passion area for me. And it's something I really wanted to, to do. It was a reason I was excited to come back. You know, as I mentioned, leading the entrepreneurship club at Georgetown and being on the insight fellowship board, like I was very involved as a student there. Um, and so I really wanted to come back and be able to advise and help kind of however I could just pro bono, just because it's fun for me and gratifying and all of these things. Yeah. So I, um, it's been really fun. So did the summer launch program. Um, I got to really mentor students on, you know, product strategy. The teams I worked with were more undergrads. Uh, so I think earlier in their careers, a little bit less maybe experience kind of working in those functional areas, maybe than the MBAs had which is really fun because a lot of it's kind of this half, like teaching them about the frameworks they're learning and really trying to hammer, hammer and drive home like the principles of kind of lean, you know, development and really getting things in front of customers and then thinking through like how to position an idea, how to even be able to communicate the idea and really get to the core of what they, what they wanted to build. A lot of these entrepreneurs are so passionate about the problem that they're solving and it, a lot of it is tied to their own personal experience and so mm -hmm. it's been really fun getting to work with them and i'm still working with one of the companies now um just kind of on the side but really help them like communicate and crystallize what they what it is they want to solve what they think their solution is and then actually testing that you know solution with customers to really define okay what is what is actually the opportunity here from a customer perspective you know, build backwards to kind of figure out the business case and then figure out, you know, after that point, like how do you position and market this thing to make it, you know, to drive adoption with your target customer base. So your, your career progression so far, you've helped launch a new product or a service. You've managed stores, you've uh, managed uh, tech teams. Uh, you've kind of done very niche uh, sort of technical projects. You've also 
helped companies not only be uh, customer facing, but also internally uh, building a culture and systems for innovation inside of an entire, uh, you know, uh, inside, of, inside, of, inside of an entire company. That's a, that's a huge initiative. And now you've kind of moved on <laughs> and, 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 you know, and into, the, into these other roles. And that's incredible. So I, I want to kind of um, um, ask you two questions now. Number one, what is your number one piece of advice to startups uh, going into the future based on all these experiences you've learned in such a short amount of time? And then question number two, you've also worked with large organizations and senior executives. What do you think is the number one challenge they have for innovation? And what, I guess this is, a, this is, a, this is actually a third question, but, and, and what's your number one piece of advice that you would give them to solve that challenge? So it's a three-part question. Yeah, yeah. so I think, for the first one for startups, I would say like customer obsession would be my number one piece of advice. Like embrace that principle, live it, live by it, die by it. Like stay laser focused on your customer. I was talking with a student startup I was mentoring and he's getting tons of advice from all sorts of sources, which is awesome. Like people love to give advice, which is great. Like seek it out, get diverse perspectives. But at the end of the day, like go internal again and remember like who is your target customer? What is the best possible thing? that you can create for them. What is the problem that you are solving? What is their problem? And make them love you and make them obsessed with you. Make them like need you in their daily life, right? Amazon has done that. I think they faltered a little bit, honestly, in their response to COVID and, and how they've like been able, I, I don't think from a customer perspective, it hasn't been like super consistent in my opinion. And I think as a consumer, I've been so trained to be, you know, consistency is key. And so I think they've set the bar and, and I think, and they have to like live by it. And that's, you know, how consumers behave now, you know? And so you have Amazon setting kind of this bar here, like you need to be at that level as well, even if you're a small scrappy startup. So even if your product and your solution is much simpler than what they offer, like stay laser focused on your customer and like make it work, make the business case work and just be creative and figure out how to, how to make it happen um, and how to solve their problem and just stay really focused on, on that. And then I would say from an innovation perspective, I talk to a lot of people and I have had the opportunity to talk to people that are trying to start innovation teams within big companies and it's really hard, right? Like it's, you know, these huge companies, there's a lot of process, there's a lot of steering committees. Um, and so I think the way, you know, I think Starbucks's model, there were certainly challenges was really good in many ways. And I think like, you know, you have to be willing to fund it um, to whatever degree. And maybe that's a small budget, which is fine, but there has to be some sort of level of direct investment. I think it can be really helpful to have direct access to the CEO. I think that sometimes you know, if an innovation team is part of a larger organization and you have to go through steering committees to get your ideas out the door, that's not innovation. Innovation is building things quickly, testing things with customers. And so, you know, whatever structurally and internally you need to do to make that happen is really important. I think in big companies, direct line with to one decision maker who has the authority to say like, sure, go test this thing is, is really important. So I would say like, you know, direct investment from senior leadership, funding, and then space. Like, teach these people how to work nimbly and give them frameworks to test and be able to fail and then let them have the space to do it. So, you know, you need to be able to fund the ideas. It doesn't have to be a lot. It just has to be enough to execute upon a very simple kind of MVP or test. You have to be able to test and execute quickly or else, you know, what you're building is no longer even necessarily relevant for customers after the year long of steering committees that you've been through. And um, yeah, you have to be able to get things out the door and have the freedom to do that and, and have the protection, I think as well, to be able to, to just kind of operate in this little, you know, in this space. I think Starbucks has struck a nice balance of having this transparent, open lab. Anybody can come in, but they also have, you know, permission to like move quickly and get things out the door and fail and try things. And I think that's been, you know, for them really successful. So I would say those are kind of 
the things that need to be structurally in place and the advice I would give and have given to people that are trying to, to figure out how to do this internally. Um, cause it's hard. I mean, big companies are, you know, you have this huge opportunity cause you have scale, but I think scale also makes it very hard to move really quickly. Um, you have a lot of people involved in a lot of different perspectives and there's a lot at stake as well. So how do you create a really scrappy, tiny startup within your company and just give them the space to, to innovate and actually execute and get, and get data to drive, you know, kind of what they do next. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my final question will be that if you could do anything, like let's say, you know, you've, you've worked all over America at this point, small organizations, <laughs> large organizations. If you had, let's say like uh, unlimited funds, what would be like the one, like the one innovation that you think that the, that the world is missing? Oh man, I don't know. I think, I mean, this, uh, it's probably not a great question, but I, I'm really, I'll just, I'll kind of gear the question to like what I'm very interested in and mm-hmm. what I'm interested to see like happen. So I think with a retail background, I'm like very interested in the future of like physical space. I was before COVID. I now am like even especially interested in like, what's this going to look like? And like when we get people back to the in-person world. So I think there's like a very interesting trend happening when you think about like actual physical real estate assets and like flexibility. And so you see pop-up hotels, you see all these mixed-use spaces, like coffee shop, mixed co-working meets retail. Lululemon opened a really cool concept store in Chicago last year, you know, where they have like all these different things happening inside the store. It's like their biggest apparel, like assortment of any store, but they also have like a, a bar and like a meditation studio and yoga. So I think physical space <laughs> is really interesting. Yeah, it's cool. Um, I don't know. I think there's like this cool mixed-use thing happening in the physical world. I firmly believe we will get back to engaging in the physical world. So I would probably, if I had money, I would be putting my dollars on thinking through what the future of physical looks like. So it's maybe not, you know, the next big sort of Steve Jobs level innovation, but I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of really cool stuff to be had when it comes to thinking about how to take a physical asset and make it like, how productive can you make this thing, right? How many uses can you, especially when you think about like co-working and remote work and all of these new trends happening and coming together and, you know, fitness and like, what's that going to look like on the other side of all of this? And, and so I think there's like a lot of really interesting stuff happening there. And that's where I would be investing probably if I and it, could. And it's, it's interesting that you mentioned COVID because it seems like COVID is actually, it's created this completely new like experiment as a, as a, as a world where we're testing out touchless technologies and e-commerce mm-hmm. and telemedicine and it's put and even online learning and everything is like an overdrive and even for this like podcast as an example like normally we do these in person now we're doing it through zoom which i would have never considered a year ago I'm like no we're mm-hmm. definitely not gonna do it on zoom and so it's it's created this new moment where everybody's testing out all these different things and we're, and we're seeing the results of them and i think the future will be very interesting and i'm glad there's people like you out there who are who are leading these huge initiatives um, and uh, it's been a pleasure listening to your story and I, I learned so much and I'm going to really enjoy reading the show notes and, and taking down like all these different uh, sort of uh, different <laughs> approaches and frameworks. Um, if there's any, uh, is there anything else you'd like to say um, in, in, as a closing remark, if people want to get in touch with you, you're, you're, you have so many great ideas. Uh, what's the best way to, to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Claire with no I, <laughs> uh, Burnham. Uh, yeah, my email is ClaireB33 at gmail.com. So yeah, feel free to reach out. But this was awesome. It was great getting to chat with you and share some of my experiences. And it'll be uh, really interesting to see what we all kind of create coming on the out of the other side of this. Thank you so much, Claire. I want to say this. Uh, I think you should write a book. Uh, I mean, <laughs> this, this, uh, this little podcast is not enough. You, you need to get out there. 
uh, you have incredible experiences and a lot of great ideas. And I think I think the rest of the country, especially if you're trying to be competitive in a globalized world, you need to have these uh, these approaches. And and the more books and education we have out there, the better it is. Thank you so much for uh, Claire for coming on. Thanks for having me. This is-